Hey everyone, welcome to the Travis Stork Show. I'm really excited to share today's guest with you, Rebecca Zamolo. She's been on a heck of a journey in her life and it's really interesting to talk to her because she's truly authentic about her journey. She is someone who for years and years dealt with ulcerative colitis, which is um, a form of inflammatory bowel disease and suffered for eight years until she made the tough decision of having a essentially colectomy where her colon was removed. And she profiles all of that in her documentary. And I think one of the coolest things about talking to her is I'm not someone who has spent a lot of my career or time on things like social media and YouTube, but I, I'm, I'm starting to learn more about that. And she has developed a really loyal following because I believe she's so authentic and she is willing to share each and every element of her life in a way that's authentic. And during the podcast, she's really open and very honest about everything she's been through. Everyone knows I'm a huge proponent of gut health, but what does that mean for someone who has inflammatory bowel disease, who has to deal with extenuating circumstances? And, you know, how do people overcome even some of the mental obstacles and even diving into what does it mean when we say someone has an ostomy or a J pouch? How does that work? How does that look? How does that affect, in, in this case, Rebecca's marriage? And how do you persevere when you're dealing with a really tough diagnosis that for years and years and years can cause you pain and discomfort and mental angst? Uh, Rebecca's documentary is called Inside Out, My Battle with IBD. She's very well known on YouTube. And uh, I'll tell you what, truly authentic. Enjoy this. And of course, um, as always, if you enjoy this podcast, please hit subscribe because I'm just going to continue to try to bring you good content about all that life has to offer. Thanks for doing this. And I'm, I'm excited to talk with you for a couple of different reasons. And I'm big into talking with people about their, their journey and not just about the health journey, but about how the health elements of their journey play into who they've become and why they consider what's important to them important. Um, and I watched your documentary and what, and what I liked about it is how vivid you were with the details, because as a doctor, as an ER doctor, obviously I have taken care of a lot of patients who've uh, dealt with what you're, you've dealt with and had the surgery and have um, these surgeries that can change their lives. But if no one has ever seen yeah. what it's like, they don't understand, but you, sh I mean, you go you go into detail. You you actually showed your own feces on the carpet when your bag was leaking. Yeah, I definitely did. I think part of my like reasoning for wanting to document the journey was because of that. Um, when I found out I was going to have this surgery, I was you know I was mortified because I was an actor. I did fitness stuff. It was like my whole world was going to change, and so I was 
searching and Googling people that I could look to for inspiration or to kind of see what this journey would look like. And there was nothing out there. And for me, the only thing I saw was one girl from the UK that took a picture in a bikini laying out with her ostomy bag. And I was like, but what does she do in the morning? Does she work out? Like I had so many more questions than like a girl laying in a bikini. And I was like, this is going to be my, my life. Like, I don't, I don't know anything. Um, and a lot of the people that had ostomy bags didn't, you know, I found out later a lot, a lot more people have one than you even know about. And, and so at the time I wasn't even really on social media. I didn't have a following. Um, and I raised, I had to have the surgery within a few weeks after I was finally diagnosed, um, just due to the fact that essentially my colon disintegrated when it got pulled out. So it was like life or death. We, I am very glad I didn't know how, how bad that was. Cause that would have been another, um, another thing I would have had to deal with. Did your online journey then and sharing all this with the public really commence with, with your diagnosis and ultimately surgery, is that how, and, and forgive me, but you know, a lot of people, if, if they talk to you would say, okay, well, Travis, he's, he's a good doctor and he's, he, he's a good TV host, but he's not the best when it comes to things like YouTube. And you know, these are, these are things that I am trying to learn about, but is that how your journey started in terms of sharing with the general public? Yeah. Um, I, because I was an actor, I wasn't really on social media, like obviously how I am now. Um, and I did a Kickstarter campaign to fund the documentary. So I raised $15,000 just with friends and family within. And, and, you know, once I started sharing my story, more people started sharing theirs with me. And I raised 15,000 in, uh, two weeks because I had to have the surgery right away. I found one of my friends who directed it um, and I produced it myself. And, you know, I basically worked for free uh, on my documentary because we only had funding for so much. And um, when I woke up from my surgery, it was supposed to be a three month surgery and I was gonna have one, one surgery and then another one three months later and they were gonna be able to reverse it. But my colon was so bad. It was a lot worse than they thought. And so three months became nine months and three surgeries versus just, you know, two and three months. So I you had it for how long? Nine months. So you had the ostomy for nine months. And for people who are listening who don't understand, can you can you just explain to them what the ostomy does? Yeah. So essentially, the reason I had my the ostomy is my colon was no longer healthy. <laughs> it was uh if I had left it inside, I would have died. It would have exploded inside of me. I guess that's the simplest way to say it. Um, so when I, they removed it, the ostomy essentially is a where you go to the bathroom. So um, you pee normally, but you go number two into this bag, which is the ostomy bag. So they essentially pulled up um, my small intestine since I had no large, pulled it up to the side of me. And that became where I went to the bathroom in an ostomy bag. And for people who have never seen that, it, it, it is literally an ostomy bag that you have to wear on your abdomen and it's, it changes the way you live your life. And, and I think that what you did, which is commendable is 
probably great you're your own producer because a producer can't tell you, hey, Rebecca, um, your ostomy bag is leaking. Let's get some footage of of your own feces on the carpet and you having to learn how to clean up and reattach it and all the things that, you know, I remember in, in medical school, the first patient I took care of who had an ostomy bag, I had never seen one before. It's not like this is something that you see when you go to high school or college. So I was a first year medical student and it's intimidating when you're seeing it for the first time as a medical student for you to personalize your own experience because that became a part of who you were, but that doesn't mean that it felt normal. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't imagine there was any point during that time. And of course, some people need to have them forever, but probably not one point of time for nine months that you thought, wow, this is you know, this is really living here. You know, I guess I've always been like, it's, it becomes your new normal where some people have to go to the bathroom. I wouldn't have that urgency. So I never knew when I was going all of a sudden I would be going in the bag or the bag would fill up and I would be like, Oh, <laughs> I just went to the bathroom. I should probably empty my bag now. So you don't have that urgency. Um, and then you just, you figure it out. I think, um, for me, I found like a company, called Ostomy Secrets. Um, I became close with the lady that created it who has a permanent ostomy bag. And it's essentially like lingerie and undergarments for women and men so that you can feel normal. So I could wear these things and no one would know that I even had an ostomy bag. It has a, you know, a pouch inside because the weight, what people also don't know is the weight of it pulling down on your skin becomes a lot. Because in the beginning, I was like, I'm not going to wear this underwear. Like she sent me samples. She's like, trust me, you'll want these. And I'm like, whatever. I'm wearing my cute, normal, like Victoria's Secret underwear, whatever. And then early on, I was like, wow, like there's a lot of weight. I mean, liquid and it, it just, it, it becomes heavy. And um, what she had created is essentially a pouch inside the underwear, which also flattened everything out. So you could wear, you know, normal clothes and people wouldn't really know. And that, and that's something that the healthcare system isn't really great about. They'll send you home with a bag and true story different, but, but not that different. My, my dad was diagnosed with cholangiocarcinoma and he had to have multiple bile duct drains placed and he had multiple drains placed around his liver. He's, he'll have them forever now. And I literally flew into town. This is all an emergency where he had all these surgeries done and I got on a plane. I arrive and I got there as he was discharged. I get home and he was home and his bile bags had just, they were so full of bile and his number one thing he was happy I arrived for was to show him what to do. He left the hospital and had no idea how to, I mean, these, they're heavy. Like you said, they're, they're cumbersome. You don't know, you don't even really know. It's not like you leave the hospital with this great lingerie that, that holds these bags in place, whether it's an ostomy bag. And in this case, the bile duct drain, it's, and we're not that good at that in medicine. We don't really, I hate to say it, we don't think as much about, okay, when this person is at home, how are they going to wear this with their clothes? And in your case, you're a runner. And, you know, I just remember trying to put this contraption together and I, I got ACE bandages and went to the store. I went to REI to try to find um, waste bags that would, and, and I'm sitting here thinking, 
how could someone who doesn't have a medical degree, how would they ever know what to do here and to live their life in a somewhat normal way? And your you profiled that very well. Yeah, it was it was definitely an adjustment, and there were things like when you get sent from the hospital, you have a clear bag so you can see everything. And I was like, okay, I found out that there's like tan bags. So you don't have to see you like, no one wants to just see their feces out. I mean, that's traumatizing enough. So, okay. I can use like a nude bag and then people on the outside can't see what's going on and I don't have to look at it. So there are things that I, I figured out as I went I thought it was important for me, like as much as I was like, wow, I just dropped feces on my carpet. This sucks. I also wanted to show people like that. That's the journey a lot of times. And you feel so alone and and you're like, you're playing this, this game, this guessing game, but there's no information out there. There's no one sharing their stories. So I was like, well, I'm just going to document it as like real as I can. And like, that's all I can do, you know, and just hopefully someone sees it and they're like thinking that they are dumb or their life is terrible. And then they're like, oh, wait, she went through the same thing. Like, this is normal. This is this is going to be OK. And it's going to get better. You're going to figure it out. But, you know, sometimes it's just trial and error and, and you kind of just have to figure it out as you go. I mean, luckily, there's a lot of books on on like having kids, you know, and we all but. I mean, there's no instructions for that either. You kind of just figure it out as you go. There's a lot less instructions for this than that. Well, let, let me ask you. Let me ask you a really personal question, and anyone listening will empathize with this. So, although I'm not one of them, I am not someone who is a, afraid to <laughs> pass gas in front of my wife. She, you know, I'm one of those people who I live my life, and since we live together, there are times where she experiences the uncomfortable odors that can come from the human body, for instance. And what I'm getting at here is I have friends who are married who still say that they've never farted in front of their spouse, who they've never, you know, they won't even have a bowel movement while their spouse is in the same house. And I don't, I don't understand that because it's hard enough being a normal person, but here you had to, and, and your husband, he, I mean, you have to hear here you're sharing with someone who is your spouse, who you married before all this happened, and you're having to share something that is so personal. And again, getting back to a lot of couples out there, oh, I never, ever, ever would fart. And yet you're. Your husband is helping you change ostomy bags, which are full of feces. And it's like, how did how did you guys manage that? Oh, I mean, he's here right now. I think it's, uh, I mean, I've never been like shy, I guess like you, I'm not like, Oh, I'm afraid to do anything. And I had ulcerative colitis for eight years. So I was going to the bathroom 50 plus times a day. So I think that you really lose all anything where you're trying to hide anything. You just, it becomes impossible when you're going to the bathroom 15 times a day. He was my rock for this. And he was kind of figuring it out as we went. We just, I don't know. I, I think we just like, we're a team and we're in this together. And you know, when it's like, this person will either die or this is what it is. It's like, I, I would say like the nine months that I was doing this and it felt like fight or flight. 
And I feel like he was possibly in that fight or flight mode too, where it's like, you don't have time to be like, ooh, or this is gross, or I don't know. It's like, we're just trying to survive. Like, I'm just trying to get through the surgeries. I'm trying to become functional. I'm trying to like get to a place where I'm healthy. And you'd be surprised what people can do when they're, you know, when they have to. And we just had to. You know, I, I applaud both of you because one of the things I've always learned in medicine is if you have a partner, it empowers you. And these are very lonesome experiences, no matter what you're dealing with. And getting back to, I think you probably, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were empowered to share every bit of your journey because you had Matthew there with you as opposed to so many people out there. And and that's why I was excited to talk to you. So many people go through something like this. So you know, with you dealt with ulcerative colitis for eight years and had to have, you know, I know you weren't excited to have the surgery, but you go through all of these things. And there are so many people who go through these alone and then they isolate themselves. And then it's not just a physical problem. It's an emotional problem. It is a psychological problem. And um, there's so much embarrassment and even shame there when there shouldn't be. And I think that's, you know, that is a very tough thing to overcome unless you have a partner or someone and that partner doesn't have to be a spouse. It can be a sister, a parent, a child. But I think that 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 was one of the cool things I noted in watching your documentary is how, you know, I really got the sense that you two are a team and that you treated each other with dignity through this whole process versus, you know, what, what happens sometimes is it either kills you or makes you stronger. And it seems like it made you two stronger. For sure. And and I'm also very lucky. My mom is a nurse and my sister. So they had dealt uh, not as firsthand as what they, but they were, they knew ostomies. They knew my mom went and, you know, got me adult diapers for the beginning when I had my J pouch, cause you have to adjust to, you know, so I had, I had people that were in the medical field that helped too. Um, had I done it alone, I think, um, like what I found is that no one has to really be alone because there's a lot of support groups. Like there were J pouch groups and Ileostomy groups on Facebook that I found. And, and that was very helpful too, because um, even if you have a partner, there's just things that maybe they don't understand. And when you get to connect with the people that are dealing with it, you know, where I'm like, I have a rash, I don't know what to do. How is this? Or you're sharing your embarrassing stories and they're like, oh yeah, that happened to me too. Or, you know, I found that if I brought, um, I, I used high tape and if ever I felt like a leak was going to happen or I noticed I would tape it and that would hold me through anywhere I was. So I never had to experience, but again, these are all things that like I had to like figure out and I got like tips from people here and there or people's stories. And I kind of figured out what worked best for me. And I really got into like a system, like even in a public bathroom, I would bring a water bottle and like dump the water bottle in the bag and then empty the bag out. So it all came out. So it was like very empty. So I would just, I found all of these hacks, like, like the high tape, high tape was always in my purse. So I didn't have that anxiety of like, what if my bag leaks, what am I going to do? Or I make a mess. It was like, no, I got this, put some high tape on and then get to a place where you can change your bag. It'll last, you know, so I just figured out all these hacks. Let me ask you what it was like emotionally and physically when, so for nine months you have this diverting ileostomy and for people listening, you know, Rebecca had her colon removed because that's where the disease 
of ulcerative colitis had caused so much damage and inflammation. In medicine, you either temporarily or in some cases permanently, you divert the end of the small intestine up through, in your case, the abdomen. And nine months later, they were able to, and correct me if I'm wrong here because you went through this, not me, but just for people who aren't aware because it is fascinating how the GI tract works. They were able to, I'll call in medicine, we call it re-anastomose, like reconnect things and create what you were talking about, which is a J pouch. And people are hearing all these things thinking, what in the world? Well, that is one of the cool things about modern medicine is almost creating an artificial um, rectum, right? To, to hold. And then you now, I, I don't know what it's like day to day, but you're now like you still like you maintained your your anal sphincter and all of that capability, right? And now how how is it like now that you after those nine months, you know, you were able to get your I'll call it reconnected for people who don't understand that. And how has it been since then? Yeah, I always I people always ask me like, so I say I have no large intestines anymore. And the nine months was to heal the inside of my body and take down the inflammation. And then they were able to reconnect my body, which was going to the bathroom in a bag down. So I go to the bathroom like a normal human. So I essentially have a pseudo colon, but nothing foreign is in my body. It's, it's just, they form it out of the small intestines. They basically stretch it and like, make a pseudo colon and they and they call that the j pouch the j pouch exactly so there's nothing foreign in me do you get now you know when it is time to have a bowel movement what how is it different now versus when you did have your colon it's faster so everything goes through my body within like four hours versus a normal person it can sit so i um i take a modium like two or three times a day just to keep things slowed down I guess the doctors would describe the texture is more like peanut butter versus like a normal humans is like harder when they go to the bathroom. But mine's like a, a, a peanut buttery texture. Rebecca, you committed a, the, the sin of medicine, which is you cannot compare feces to food. You can't do it. It's against the rules. It's against the rules, Rebecca. I'm sorry. Podcast is over, everyone. Hey, it's been a great time, Rebecca. It's, it's one of the. <laughs> well, kidding. if you're asking me, I'm trying to explain the difference. You know, it, it, I am, of course, kidding. I, I, I think it's a great description. <laughs> That's the best way to describe the texture now versus then. Um, but again, I had all sort of colitis for eight years. So nothing of mine was a normal, you know, constant diarrhea, liquid dehydration. So, I mean, for me, I'm like, I feel a lot more normal, but yeah, compared to the normal human, it's, it's like a little bit softer. In my intro, I, I talk about the importance of gut health and so your gut has played such a huge role in your life. And for a normal person who still has their colon or, you know, didn't have to go through what you've been through with inflammatory bowel disease, I talk a lot about my, my last book was literally called the lose your belly diet, change your gut, change your life. And it's all about the importance of gut health to overall health. Just out of curiosity, now that you're obviously managing quite well, what, what are the kinds of foods that you eat to maintain your unique gut health? Because, and I want to get into to non-medical stuff here in a minute, but 
you know, it's true. Change your gut, change your life. In your way, you change your gut in a, a very drastic way, having surgery and basically getting rid of the diseased part of your gut, which was your colon. How do you go about it now? Because, you know, the colon does play a role beyond just a, a transit for your feces decks at the body. And I, I'm curious what your eating habits are like now. I would say, like, I wish I could say I went and immediately ate healthy, but I went like eight years of being very strict. I was vegan, gluten-free, dairy-free. Like I went through everything to get to the point where I was and nothing had worked. So the first time I got healthy, like, especially even with the Osmi bag, I was like, I got to have food that I hadn't had in years. And so I kind of like, I had a soda, I had pizza. Like I did, I ate food that I shouldn't have. And now I'm finally, I mean, I guess I eat healthy, but I do like have a sweet tooth. So I have like a shake in the morning. Um, I, I avoid nuts for me. It's not good for my J pouch. But you're able to eat relatively normally? Yeah, I, I can eat normally. Again, um, I think autoimmune, your gut is so important. And um, I recently had gallbladder issues. And I just think that everything's connected. And so uh, they went in and I had a, a stent put into my bile duct because there was inflammation in my bile duct. They don't know if it was caused from the eight years of ulcerative colitis. Like it was just, you know, kind of all in one. People that have this had ulcerative colitis. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't, um, it's not, you didn't have anything like primary sclerosis and cholangitis or any, that's what my, my dad was diagnosed with that eventually, you know, it, that's, he's dealing with cholangiocarcinoma. And that's something that I'm glad that they addressed now because it is one of those, if you don't, I've seen it firsthand as a doctor and as a son, it's, if you don't get that stent in there when you can, you know, it can, so I'm really, I'm glad they addressed that. <laughs> yeah. I think it also, like, you're just such a classic example for better or for worse that, when you're dealing with one autoimmune condition, it's quite likely that there is either uh, the potential for another area of your body to deal with inflammation. And you, you're obviously pretty young to be dealing with primary sclerosis and cholangitis. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to nerd out too much here and confuse people listening, but, you know, you can get strictures of your bile ducts and hardening of it and it's inflammatory and anytime in the body there's inflammation and you know this with ulcerative colitis and inflammatory bowel disease anytime there's inflammation in the body for a prolonged period of time you also you have to think about things like eventually leading to cancer and it requires so much vigilance and getting back to sort of the things that you do and gut health and how you eat i mean i'm assuming that you look at your life now and you're like all right you got rid of your colon but yeah don't want to lose any more organs. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. H have you been fine with the, since they, they put the stent in your bile ducts? Have you been, have you been okay? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was misdiagnosed. They thought it was my gallbladder. So they almost removed my gallbladder. And then another doctor came in and there was kind of a battle. And of course I was like, I think diet can fix it. Like they kept asking me too, if I drank a lot, which I don't because my liver enzymes would be inflamed when I would go in. And now it makes sense with this new diagnosis. But again, it's like trying to figure out what the best diet is for anti-inflammatory. And, you know, I've 
research key, the keto diet, but I have friends that like, I like to work out. I love to run and like, they don't have the energy on the keto diet. So maybe I'll have to talk to you to try to figure out what, what a good game plan is now. Well, I, I would not, you know, it's, it's interesting. And again, with PSC, if there's a silver lining, it's, it's a disease that in most cases caught early, as long as you get good bile flow, you know, it's one of those that you can live with and you don't even necessarily know you have it, but it's important to manage that inflammation because it is a precursor for cholangiocarcinoma. And this is so personal to me because of what I've, you know, what I've seen my, my dad go through. He, I mean, he's for a very long time at elevated, very elevated markers. And it's a very tough diagnosis if you don't get the right test. Having said all of that, I am a big believer that diet is everything. I've, I, I, I'm so passionate about diet. I'm even working right now on another book regarding foods, um, tentatively called the reset diet, (laughs) reset your diet, reset your life, because all of this new data out there now. So here's my, here's my humble opinion. This is what I talk about in my book. Ketosis over short periods of time appears to potentially have a good impact. And by short periods of time, I'm talking about less than a week or so. And there's still so much to be borne out here, but, but in my book, I'm actually recommending if people do, I'm calling it a a keto cleanse and it's really more of a plant forward keto cleanse. Most people think of keto and they're eating bacon and sausage and, you know, it's, I think of a, a a short-term keto cleanse more along the lines of, well, you can't eat nuts, but things like avocados and if you're going to eat animal products, you know, organic eggs and foods that that don't have carbs but are nourishing in other ways, um, olives and, and all of those great foods. But I really don't recommend people do keto for long periods of time for a couple of reasons. Number one, I, I'm a little concerned with keto over the long term because it's very it's very restrictive. I do think it can be very effective for short-term weight loss, but there's not great long-term data. And especially for someone like you, who, you know, you're dealing with all these inflammatory conditions. I'm saying all of these really, you've, you've dealt with inflammatory bowel disease and now primary sclerosis and cholangitis. I really, I know you've gone through the, the vegan diet phase, right? I did, but again, I don't know. I was, uh, it was, it was a mix of different things. I went to a, like a naturalistic, I got a test. So I had sensitivities that we cut out along with being vegan. So there were like, I even went at some point I would have like some type of meat, but I was primarily vegan, but it was like very complicated, but I did go vegan for a little bit. I just had a hard time with raw vegetables and I eat them now, but at the time I would, my stomach would bleed when I had raw anything. So I feel like I didn't get to fully live the vegan lifestyle, like a normal vegan that I have friends that are vegan. So, um, I didn't eat the same way as them. Well, and I think everyone, I always have said that everyone can be healthy with a unique diet personalized to them. And that's really what you have to find because we're all a little different. People can be vegan and be healthy. People can be paleo and be healthy. People can be big time meat eaters and 
you look at them and they're very healthy. I mean, there are people following a carnivore diet, although I don't recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> there are people now who are big proponents of it, but I've always believed in balance and obviously avoiding foods that exacerbate any problems or foods that you may be allergic to. But I'm, I'm just really uh, of the strong belief that the more plant-based foods we eat and my wife and I, when we eat, or bring, I'll call it meat into the house. It's it, it tends to be fish because fish is loaded with omega three fatty acids, which can be anti inflammatory. Obviously, good for heart health and other things, but also and and looking for low mercury versions. But the biggest thing I've noticed, and that's kind of why I was asking you about your J pouch, is because I think our gut microbiome plays such a huge role in inflam- inflammation. And so many people in America have a fiber deficit and they have a fiber deficit because they're not eating real foods. And, you know, these foods that that come from the earth, I really am trying to get people to eat these foods that have not only the antioxidants, but also fiber, obviously fruits, vegetables. And if you do grains, make sure they're whole grains, et cetera. But if you I'm curious, if you eat high fiber meals, does that affect you at all negatively? No. Every morning I have a shake with like spinach, kale, avocado, um, mango, some berries. Um, and I'll add in like some chia seeds and a little bit of protein powder. I have that every morning. And then I think for me, it's more, I like to work a lot. And so like missing meals or like waiting or not just not being consistent on when I eat and also by the time it's nighttime and I'm hungry or something, everything's closed or I don't want to cook a meal and like, it's easier to just get Postmates. And like, we're trying to cut back on that for me, mixing the work lifestyle with uh, eating healthy is the biggest challenge for me. Well, and we're all, we're all human. It's funny because I've been thinking about how much traveling I've been doing for 12 years. I've commuted out to LA and I, you know, I'm on the road all the time. I'm in hotels. And even when you are home, like you said, and you're married and you look at your spouse and it's getting late at night and, oh my gosh, Uber Eats. <laughs> and you don't always make the smartest decisions. And so I um, I have to tell you that I recently, because of all my travel, I, I told my wife, Paris, that when I'm home for the most part, I just want to make sure we have a stocked fridge with quick, easy to make meals. And that's, and it's funny, the recipes I've been using, the really quick ones, um, even getting back to fish, I've done a ton of research on fish and low mercury canned fish is some of the healthiest food you can eat. So I'll always have stuff like that around now because I was going through, I was going through phase myself. I'm supposed to be the, you know, the, the guy that tells everyone to eat perfectly and, so many planes, so many hotel rooms. And you know how it is. You order a hotel room food, even if you're trying to be healthy, it's not. <laughs> I know. I think that's my biggest struggle is when it's like, my life isn't always like I'm at home, I'm cooking meals. I don't always, I don't prep my food. So then all of a sudden night comes and it's like, oh no, I need to eat something. <laughs> Have you ever done a grocery list for people? of like what to stock in their fridge. Cause I would love. I'm, I'm honestly doing it for the book I'm working on right now, because I realize that one of the biggest challenges that people have is, and I'm this way, I want to be able to make a meal in five minutes flat. And so 
I'm in the process of creating that list right now. And I'm creating one list for this. I'm calling it a five day keto cleanse. And then I'm creating another list for sort of the foods that you should always have in your pantry or your freezer. And the thing that I do, I, I will say I'm big on, on veggie burgers and, you know, these are veggie burgers with a lot of leafy greens in them, uh, legumes, beans, even things like mixed in walnuts, which, you know, you mentioned nuts being problem. People need to figure out really what they enjoy, but I will, I will say what has worked for me. And as I'm putting this grocery list together, I'm at a point in life where I just turned 48 and I refuse to eat foods that I hate because life is meant to be enjoyed. So I've found all these little substitutions that we use and it's kind of, it's kind of fun to find these, these little substitutions and, you know, your favorite, like your favorite veggie burger and your go-to, you know, your go-to products and I have my list and I'm creating it. But the one, hey, the one thing that I always have in the freezer are, are Dr. Prager veggie burgers. I don't know if you've ever tried those. I feel like half of the battle, and I've had friends that have helped, but it's knowing what to get at the grocery store. And I'm such a creature of habit. But so for me to like venture out to something new, someone would have to like tell me, go get this and go try this. And then I'd probably like it, but I'm not going to like venture out on my own. So like when you say, that kind of veggie burger, I'll go out and get that and I'll probably love it, but I wouldn't have normally gotten it. I will send you, I will send you an advanced copy once this thing is, is ready to be awesome. Yeah. Ready to be, uh, I don't want to call it say sent to press cause it won't, but, but I'll, yeah, I'll get it for you. And then you can let me know what you think. But, uh, that, that is what it comes down to so much with gut health and everything else. And, and speaking of gut health and overall health, one thing I definitely wanted to talk with you about before we wrap things up is when you started talking about in your documentary, the importance of running for you and your mental health, it struck a nerve with me because I not comparing these two things at all, because what you've been through is so much worse. I've, I've dealt with some weird arthritis and then ended up with degenerative joint disease in my neck or degenerative disc disease in my neck and had to have surgery. And I couldn't, I couldn't ride my bike for a number of years. I couldn't really sit in chairs. And so all I could do is I would come home and lay on the floor with a wedge pillow with my head at a certain angle. And I couldn't ride, I couldn't get that release. I couldn't, and I was drowning in this emotional pit because I couldn't do the one thing that I needed to do to clear my mind emotionally. It was like my Prozac, my nature's Prozac. And so when you talked about running and how important that was to you and how there was a stretch where you couldn't run because of everything you were going through, it really struck a chord. And, and Tell, tell, tell me a little bit about how that has played a role for you throughout your life and to this day. The feeling I get, like everything I, I don't know how to explain it. It's, it's very therapeutic. And also uh, that's where I get my ideas. I can plan out my day. I can, I can, I'm able to like think when I run. So that's when I come up with some of my best ideas. That's where I'm able to just talk to myself to look at things from like 
the outside looking in. But before I do that, I want to go back to you saying that you didn't have the same, like what you go through isn't the same as me. And I, I always correct people because I don't like people saying like, oh, they've gone through something much harder than me. My dad, he can't stand on his toes right now because he has a genetic like nerve damage, which, um, and he's like, it's no big deal. There's people that are going through worse. And I, you know, someone that's been sick for a long time, I think anything that impacts your life is your reality. And it's just as important and you shouldn't, you know, devalue it or say it's not as big of a deal because it is like you couldn't run or you couldn't bike. Like that's important to you. That's what you love to do. You couldn't work out. So, you know, yes, I had my colon out, but you dealing with arthritis and laying on the ground and like, that's just as significant in your life as what I went through in my life. And I, I always tell people like, you don't need to devalue or think that, um, because yours isn't cancer, yours isn't this, that it doesn't affect you because it, because it does. And I just think it's important for people to see, because I think they, they feel almost guilty for complaining about it or for worrying about it, but it, it did, it didn't impact your life. Well, you know what? Th- thank you for saying that. Damn, Rebecca, drop the mic, dropping some knowledge on the podcast. But I, I genuinely appreciate you saying that because I, I will say that I've always felt like, and I've always just put the happy face on at work and, and no, you know, you, you do not, especially when you're a physician, you never want to acknowledge if you're dealing with something because you're supposed to always be the one with the answers and the the rock for everyone else. And I, and I try to uphold that, but sometimes when you're laying there alone on a floor <laughs> with your head on a wedge pillow, cause if you move, it sends searing pain down your arm. You're like, gosh, I, how did I get here? And so I, I love that. That's a great lesson. And, and I think that that is something that's why I'm glad I'm doing this podcast because I, I want to learn from people like you And I think anyone listening right now, I think, you know, we need to give ourselves a break. If something's impacting our life, let's not diminish it. Let's address it and let's figure out a way to work through it. And um, I mean, I look at you, for instance, and (laughs) I mean, that's why I was saying it, you know, it's hard to compare. You literally ran a half freaking marathon two weeks after, after you had the ostomy. Yeah, two two months I ran a full marathon with Austin. You realize that you realize that I consider people who run marathons period insane. That's twenty six point two miles. Twenty. I, I walked two point six two miles, and I'm like, all right, wow, that was that was really great. That was nice. <laughs> I feel like there's people that love to run, and then there's people that love to bike. I feel like everyone has their thing. Yeah, you you. You may be right, but, but I can tell you that running a marathon two months after and, you know, also doing it with your, with your bag and it's, it's unreal. I mean, it's really, it's pretty cool. And, um, if I thought physically I could run 26.2 miles, which old man syndrome has kicked in too many, too many joint problems. It's not happening, but Holy smokes. If you can do that, anyone can, who's you know, who's not old and decrepit like me. (laughs) Well, first off, I don't think that I think you could, I think, um, 
you know, with everything I went through, I, I had a lot of guilt because I was like, why can't I fix this? You know, I was vegan gluten. I tried everything with, with diet. I did hypnotherapy, like you name it. I tried it. Like I went through all of it. And since then I had to do a lot of, um, studying on, on the brain and how it works. And I am very careful with what I say, um, and how I say it. And I, I think that's very important. I think, um, you know, I, I never talk age doesn't matter to me. I never say I can't do anything. I never talk about, um, feeling bad. I, I, I'm, I'm very careful with what I say because I know that, uh, impacts whether you think so or not words impact how, uh, how you feel. And so I'm, uh, very aware of how, how I think. And I'm also very aware of how powerful the brain is and the mind. Hugely important. It's hugely important. And, you know, when I couldn't run, uh, one of the things that I would do is I would visualize me running because in college we would go through, um, before a race, you know, we would run those races in our minds over and over and neurologically, like your muscles, they go through the same thing. It's like, you're really running anyways. I, I did a lot of that when I couldn't physically run. Uh, so I was running in my mind before I was running in real, in real life <laughs> or in the real world. And I think that's why I was able to run a half marathon because I had done it so many times in my head. And I think anytime we are doubting ourselves, if to, to be able to visualize it first is very helpful. No, I, I agree. And, and in fairness, Cause I actually have arthritis. So I can't like, literally I can't run. <laughs> I, I wish I could. But what I will say is the back to running. And again, one of the reasons I became a big biker is because I just, because of my, my joint problem, which is ridiculous, but it's true. But I found that that, that was my thing. And like with running, I'm curious because you're so busy and because you've been through so much with, um, you know, dealing with inflammatory bowel disease, heck, last week you said you just got a diagnosis of PSC and you had a stent placed in your bile ducts. How proactive are you now about making sure you carve out that time to clear your head? It's like, it's a very big priority. I do it in the morning for me because I find if I don't get it done in the morning, things happen. And I'm just not sure I'm going to be able to later in the day. So I, I start off my day running. Well, I, I actually have a very, uh, a very extensive morning routine, but it ends with me running after I do all the, all the things that I do in the morning. Um, but I get up around five, five thirty and start my day. And then I'm running by seven. What's your, can I ask what your average length of run is? Uh, I try to run for an hour and I really try to not focus on time because I was a collegiate runner. So everything was time. And I really don't like to obsess about that because I will. Um, but I run about seven or eight miles in an hour. So give or take, depending if I want to go harder or less, I kind of just now I, I really uh, listen to my body. So if I'm tired, I'm OK going slower. Um, but I try to do an hour. Well, and it sounds like that hour is your active meditation for the day. For sure. Yeah. It's, uh, it can be slow. It can be fast. It could be 
sprinting in the middle of it. It's, it's kind of whatever I, I feel like doing that day. Uh, I I've not really, like you say, everything like balance. I I've never been like a, I'm going to like work out four hours a day and, and be super crazy. I've always just been consistent. And that seems to be what works for me. It's like, it's like, I know I can get an hour a day of working out, whether, you know, more days than not. And Mm -hmm. that works for me. And so I never have these like extremes where, you know, January doesn't come and all of a sudden I'm like, I'm doing all this. And then, you know, it's just, it's pretty, it's just the kind of the same. That's honestly wonderful advice. I always tell people the key to good health is consistency and balance. And so whether you're talking about physical activity, diet, the key is to, and no one can see your hand or my hand, but it was just kind of that straight line where, yeah, some days you're going to maybe exercise a little more, others less. But if you can consistently break a sweat most days, you consistently most days eat well, you're going to be maximizing your health and the extremes that so many people engage in. You know, it's kind of crazy when you start looking at statistics and data, you know, really extreme activities or races, sometimes they're not good for you and they may not even be good for your heart. So I, I love that message of an, an hour just seems perfect to me in terms of the, the health benefits of running, but also the amount of time to clear your head. And truth be told, I've tried for years to to do meditation, just quietly passive meditation, just sitting there. It just doesn't work for me. But if I'm outside doing something active, even if it's just walking the dog or if I'm on my bike, it's remarkable, right? What can happen to the brain? For sure. I I think it's the same thing as meditation. I mean, it is essentially what happens. I had a hard time with meditation too, and I still have a hard time sitting still. I found this this one. um, It's a six-phase meditation. It's 15 minutes, and it's you're actively doing things in those like 15 minutes, which has really helped me uh, with meditation. Cause it's hard for me to just sit still or to be, or to not think, you know, then I think more. So this is like, um, six, six days meditation. Is that what you said? Six phase meditation, six phase. Okay. Yeah. And it's, it's great because it kind of, it goes you through, uh, like the three things you're thankful for in your personal life. And you're visualizing those. And then in your, you know, in your work life, in your, and then someone you want to forgive. And it it walks you through everything, visualizing your day, visualizing yourself in three years. And, And because it's so active, it's like one of the easiest ways for me to meditate. Well, I love that. And before I let you go, Rebecca, I want to ask you a question because this is the place where you have all the expertise. When... You know, you are active on social media, YouTube, and you have so many um, platforms, I'll call it. When you when you're active, do you I can tell from talking to you that you view yourself as a as more than just telling your story. I mean, heck, during our conversation here today, you know, you've told me about something I wasn't aware of. I now know about six phase meditation. You talked about. You know, it's it's okay to not undermine something you might be going through. Do you view your role much 
Like I view my role as to help people hopefully live their longest, best, happiest, healthiest life. And I'm, I always try to give, provide whatever wisdom I have, but is, do you view your role as that? I mean, entertainment, obviously first, if you're not, if people aren't interested in hearing what you have to say and you're not entertaining, you're not going to have followers. (laughs) But when you look in the mirror and you think about, okay, who am I when I'm projecting myself to the world? What do you, how do you view yourself? I hope that I'm someone that inspires people, hopefully by action. I think a lot of people say things. I hope that I just, I inspire just by doing. Um, I care a lot. You know, when you get to a place of, you know, essentially facing death and it, your life becomes very different, you know, and everyone... I've read a lot of things of people that having those moments, getting in car accidents. And, and I feel like that's, I look at life much like a, like a kid where I'm excited every day. And I think that's important. I don't maybe have like, I'm not as cynical, I think as, as most adults anymore. Um, I enjoy what I do, but also I, I care that other people feel good about themselves. And so for me, even with the content I create and I have, you know, a lot of younger people that look at me, I don't want to be viewed as uh, put on a pedestal or like it's Rebecca Zamolo. I really want people to see me and feel more empowered with themselves. And I think that's my ultimate goal is them feeling empowered within versus looking at me as this like out of reach person. I I don't ever want to be that. And and hopefully people see that I I try to be as open and as honest with everything I do. And hopefully that comes through, Um, but also just enjoying life at the same time. Good for you. That's so great because in a day and time where I don't know that everyone has authenticity, it's great to hear that that's really what you you bring to the table and it's been it's been a privilege Rebecca. I've enjoyed this. I'm excited to read your book. As soon as it you will get an advanced copy as soon as it's ready and I will um you know I'll, I'll get your info and send one to you. And in the meantime, good luck with everything, you know, your health all the projects you have going on and uh thank you thanks for having me and um till next time sometime you can sometime you can get me and show me how to do the youtube world yes it's it's intimidating but you you can you can coach me up in that at some point i'll 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 have you be my my youtube coach you should you should make lists of like top five things to get at a grocery store and like You should have a YouTube channel and put up little things so people can watch it and get information. Quick info. All right. I will do that. Because you motivated me, I will start doing that, Rebecca. Thank you so much. And hey, have a great one. Yeah, you too. I hope you enjoyed listening. Do not forget to subscribe and download and tell your friends. I would love to build this community and continue to be all about authenticity, optimism, and hope. Uh, Looking forward to the next podcast. We'll see you soon. The Travis Stork Show podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended as a replacement or substitution for any professional, medical, financial, legal, or other advice, diagnosis, or treatment. This podcast does not constitute the practice of medicine or any other professional service. 
the use of any information provided during this podcast is at the listener's own risk. For medical or other advice appropriate to your specific situation, please consult a physician or other trained professional.